Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. Mission Log Supplemental, number 35. Another show from the Rio. Sup. By which I mean supplemental, because... We're doing that again. Hi, I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. We just flew in from Vegas, and boy, are our arms tired. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, does the Uh, fun ever start? Except you didn't fly. No, I didn't. You mega busted. Yeah, I'm close. I'm close. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah. I really thought you were going to drive. I'm really glad I didn't go straight from Vegas back to L.A. with you, because if I'd been like, you know, where's your car? Mm Mm-hmm. And you were like 400 miles from here. Right. <laughs> right. And then and then even better, here's a little inside story. If you happen to miss Vegas and miss all the fun and craziness, it was so much fun. I left my keys in Vegas. So <laughs> that's that's just a little a little insight into how much fun you and I had. The world's worst leave behind though. Yeah, pretty much. You don't do that in a hotel, no. dude. You don't do no. that in a hotel. Unless everybody checking in next is going to be like, oh, are, th- are these yours? Should we <laughs> should we leave them here? <laughs> Whatever. So we had a fantastic time in Vegas. And stick around to the end of this show because we will talk a little bit more about that. But first. But first. A word from Blue Apron. A better way to cook. Um, you know this, John, because you've been to Las Vegas more than once. Mm-hmm. And you're a food guy. Oh, yes. Yes, I am. Las Vegas is an easy place to eat really well. And it's an even easier place to eat really poorly. Um, (laughs) I had so many fried things. I had a couple of good burgers while I was there. A couple of really good burgers. And they come with fries, which are also really good. And and I made sure by eating every last one of them. (laughs) Well, Um, well, I had had at least no. Oh, no, we're not done. I had I had chicken strips or chicken fingers three different times. Three times. Wow. And now, wow. listen, it, it's chicken, so that's good. I mean, I could have had a fried Twinkie for crying out loud. <laughs> By the way, I did skip the, what was it? Ding Dong Wedge. Do, yeah, at the American Grill. Yeah, I'm still tempted. Yes. So, the, at the American Grill, they have a thing called the Ding Dong Wedge, and I skipped that. You know why? All the fries I mentioned just a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I might have had my fill of food that's, let's say, well, filling, but maybe, um, you know, maybe not the best. I'm somewhat proud of you. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, just kind of depends on your perspective, I guess. But look, Ken, the good news is that Blue Apron mm. is better than that. Mm. And, and it's easy, too, because each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card. Look, the, the goal is to have you eating a good home-cooked meal in under an hour. 
I've heard of home cooked meals, but it's been so long, John. You'll, you'll get back into the groove. I, I promise. Know. I yeah. know. Uh, it's also easy too, by the way. And this is here's a little bit of Vegas for you. You know, because you don't cook in Vegas. Well, not you and I don't when we're there. Because no, you know, no. we don't have a kitchen. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's easy because they do the shopping. So almost like ordering at a restaurant. Um, you know, they do the shopping. They do the delivering. They do the measuring. They'll even choose for you if you want them to choose for you. But um, you know, there are so many great things. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, well, what's nice is that you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences, or you can just let their team pick. Kind of exciting to get things that you you don't know what you're getting. And there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Now, I'm going to pretend you're in one of those nice, fancy, schmancy restaurants you like in Las Vegas, where, Mm -hmm. you know, named after a guy who yells at you, even if they don't yell at you at the restaurant. I can only hope. I'm yep. just gonna I'm just gonna name a few things, and and these are some of the things that you might be able to choose. Uh, so tonight, sir, or today, sir, or whenever someone's listening, sir, we're talking about a, a, a seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. Mm. There's also the possibility of a fresh basil fettuccine with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper. Sign me up. Or we're also featuring chili butter steaks with parmesan potatoes and spinach. Mm. I'll take it. Now, you may be wondering, how do you get all of that into your face? John, won't you please tell them? Yes, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. So we got to do that thing again. Made me feel a little uh, Frank Sinatra. Made me feel a little Sammy Davis Jr. Made me feel a little Elvis Costello. Little Sam Kennison <laughs> thrown in for good measure, maybe. Did I say Elvis Costello? I meant Presley. I meant yeah, Presley. I said, there you go. There you go. Anyway, I felt very Vegas because once again, uh, we got the headline at a room at the Rio. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, that's all you can say about it. And 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 I, I think we had the best turnout that we've had in uh, in the entire time since we've been doing it. So it was very uh, cool. Thanks yeah. right away to the people who were there. Yeah. Participated. Yeah. It probably didn't hurt that we weren't up against like, you know, freaks. Mm-hmm. Right. And we actually we yeah. had a, we had a good time slot there because, of course, the day before there was four hours of discovery talk, four hours. And everybody was in there for that. Yes. A lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. And then, of course, uh, the next day was the 30th anniversary TNG panel. So, I mean, we may have found the Goldilocks spot. We may have found like, the best place. We may, have to, we may have to circle that and say, hey, next time, uh, how about a time when there's nothing else good going on? <laughs> because then we crush. We crush that. Uh, but enough of us talking about what we talked about. How about uh, we let people hear what we said and then we'll come back and say more stuff after that nice to see you here rod yes. we talk we talk about you on the show from time to time I, I know. it is truly an honor to meet you yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pleasure yes um it's a great star wars podcast you guys mm-hmm. do <laughs> yeah. are we ready yeah Welcome to a super supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast recorded live at Star Trek Las Vegas 2017 at the beautiful Rio by the beautiful Gold Coast. I'm Ken Ray. 
And I'm John Champion, and we welcome our very special guest, Rod Roddenberry. Each week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek looking for the morals, meanings, and messages, and figuring out if the whole thing stands the test of time. And that is not what we're doing today. It's a callback to an old joke. Yeah, good times. Star Trek The Next Generation marks not only a resurgence for Trek, but also a changing of the guard. And um, as we head into the seventh and final season of Next Gen, uh, we felt like it was a good time to talk about the handoff from Gene Roddenberry and sort of the crew around the original Trek uh, to the creatives who would carry Star Trek forward. And we do also have microphones set up, so at some point along the way, if you guys want to come up and ask questions, you're welcome to do that, too. Yes. So... Ken and I, as we do, uh, figured out about an hour ago that we should make some plans about this panel and uh, have some topics to discuss. Did I mention we're taking questions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, and um, one of the things that I really like in discussing Star Trek is discussing the, the production side of Star Trek, the reality of how production affects the show and affects the stories that they get to tell. And um, as you just mentioned, we talked about Gene Roddenberry Star Trek versus post-Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. But I think there's an even more sort of fine dividing line. And the more I thought about it, it was one episode. So beginning of season four of Next Gen, Family. Famously an episode that Gene hated. Well, hated the script anyway. I don't know how he felt about the show after it was made, but hated the script, hated the idea. And it was Michael Piller who pushed that script to say, look, Captain Picard has just been through hell. He's been through the absolute worst thing that we can put this character through. It's unrealistic that the next week we just go back into space adventure, fun time, treating it like the anthology that it had been up until that point, and we ignore the emotional impact of what happened to our lead character. So it was Michael Piller who pushed that and said, what we need is to have a quiet, intimate episode where we get to look at the psychological impact on this character. And I think that set the stage for what comes later. Now, there were little dips into family drama. Obviously, you had uh, Riker meeting his dad earlier. Um, But that really is where Star Trek becomes something quite different where you've got characters who actually have to deal with their problems from week to week, maybe over the course of several months or several years, because their actions come back or or the things that happen to them come back later. So I I think that's the dividing line. And, and And this is sort of, you know, Gene passed away in late 91, so this is a good year, year and a half preceding that. Yeah. You know? Well, I know his health had been failing him for a while. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, one of the favorite episodes of TOS was an episode that was not on board the Enterprise, City on the Edge. And sure. I don't know, I mean, family doesn't necessarily fall into one of the, the favorites, but it's awesome how it's still Star Trek. Star Trek, as much as the ship is a character, uh, it doesn't always need to be uh, in space and on the ship. And I, I love character. Getting into the depth of the character and finding out who they are and what drives them and, and their, their, well, their, their faults, um, how they're fallible, uh, the issues they have and the issues that surround them, that, I think, gives so much life. So I, I have to say, I don't know what really happened. I don't know if my father really hated it, 
But I think Michael Pillar did a great job. I think he's 100% right with where that character needed to go. I don't think an episode like that it certainly would not have existed in the 60s. Hi. Uh, certainly would not have existed in the 60s. You know, the, the deepest family drama that we got then was uh, meeting Sarek and learning that Spock has daddy issues. And, but, but here's something that really served the character of Spock and kind of kicks off what we know about him for the next 25 years of Star Trek history, which is a, a, a really impressive thing to be able to do in a piece of entertainment. But um, I don't think something that intimate and that deep about a single character certainly would not have happened. And as you and I like to talk about, or, well, I like to talk about, you tolerate it, uh, <laughs> I think that... Uh, Next Gen was a series that had a foot in the 60s and a foot in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And the way that a show was created in the 1960s, we've talked over and over again in trivia when we get to the end of a season, whether it was TOS or Next Gen, it's always the same story. And then they ran out of scripts. And it's amazing. You know that point is coming. You, You know that by episode 20, 22... They're starting to run out of ideas, and it's like, oh, wait, what was that spec script that we got that we kind of rejected? Can we make anything out of it? Sure, or we'll try to make something out of this. The way TV is produced now, and something that uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga wanted to do with Enterprise was to take time off, take a year off, write a whole season arc, maybe even start to plan out later seasons after that first season, and... Next Gen is right in the middle of that. Yeah. Pure anthology versus let's create things that have long-lasting effect. Aren't you creating something different at that point, though? Something that you and I were talking about earlier mm-hmm. was the fact that a lot of the people that were writing the original, or writing TOS, were science fiction writers at the time, right? Yeah. When Gene comes back in the late 80s, trying to create a show again. He's basically still trying to make the same show. It's future. It's got more in the way of technology. It's certainly got a bit more diversity. I mean, nothing like what we're seeing for Discovery, but it's got a bit more diversity. And we've evolved intellectually a little bit. Mm -hmm. You think? I I, I think that was the intention. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. Because I I mean, the difference between Kirk and Picard, I mean... Okay, but is the difference between Kirk and Picard that we as people have evolved intellectually, or is it just we have a different idea of what an evolved man... In 1966, we have a different idea of what an evolved man is versus our idea in 1987. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's it's a small evolution, but I think the intention Mm -hmm. was is that we have become... Uh, more aware of ourselves, more honest with ourselves, and more willing to, to collaborate and work together. Not that we weren't in, in the 66 Star Trek, but, I mean, obviously, just on the bridge, the way everyone works together, I think, is much more uh, cohesive than, than the original Enterprise, than the original series. Uh, but, I mean, on a small scale. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm certainly not, not at odds. Yeah. Well, to your point, it, it's a less raucous Enterprise. Yeah. And that's, again, one of my chief complaints is that the crew of the Enterprise D would not know a good party if it bit them in the butt, you know? Captain Kirk went to the Christmas party. He knows what's up. But what ship would you yeah. rather be on? I, I almost want, like, a vote. Can we do a poll on this our website? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Well, let's do it right here. We, but, we have hundreds of people in our audience. Right. Thank you all. What, what a ship would you rather be on, for real? If, if I know for real's relative, but, I yeah. mean, for real. Oh, wait, because Star Trek's not real. We, we, always, right. we got to work that in. Okay. But, but if there were a ship, and it was captained by a guy named James T. Kirk, okay. and he was that guy, okay. and there was the Picard, 
Okay, but we're talking specifically TOS, uh, that Kirk, not like Wrath of Khan Kirk. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Because um, I, I still, you know, T- TOS is a sexier, more raucous show. Yeah. So you, you would this die. Is, really is nerdy, all I'm but... saying. It's all I'm trying to say is that you would die in like within a week. He would have the entire ship blown up because he slept with someone that he shouldn't have, and the the, the father no. came along and blew it up the ship. That's, That's uh, not as true as we think. They, I think, think so. You think, think so? so yeah. They made it through three <laughs> seasons. All right. So by show of hands, who would rather serve on a uh, you know twenty? Well, no, wait, okay, so wait, here's the question, though. I'm sorry, because I don't know what his question is now. Are we serving on a Connie, or are we serving on a Galaxy class, or are we talking about serving under Picard or under Kirk? Uh, this I'm, is important. This is very important. I, I'm talking uh, 2267 Captain Kirk on a Constitution-class starship mm-hmm. versus Captain Picard. I'm going to say like a season two, season three, next gen. Uh, uh, well, wait, at least season three, because we never saw that wallpaper again after season All three. Right. So at least season three. All right, so by show of hands, uh, TOS, Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, just raise your hands. Okay. All right, versus serving on the Enterprise D under... Cat- Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, all right. Wow. See? Okay. Because you all know right. you, will, you will all live. You will all live. <laughs> you won't go to any parties, but you will all live. Yeah. Yeah. Holodex. 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 You'll go to as many Holodex. parties as you want to. Yeah. Holodex. You're right. Yeah. Well, every day's a birthday, yeah, what, and every room's a suite. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. have you guys seen the video on YouTube where he sings, <laughs> My Father, Happy Birthday? If you, those of you who haven't seen the video, not right now, but go to YouTube, and I don't know, look up, look up uh, Patrick Stewart singing Gene Roddenberry Happy Birthday. He's, oh. he's yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyhow, uh, off topic. I keep forgetting we're recording a show, right? We are. Okay. We, we are, are indeed. Right. Yeah. So back to the division of, of one Star Trek to another. The question uh, is what kind of, like, that's what we're, right. Yeah, so the question what is talking. what kind of show are you making at that point? And this is something that I talked about last year and I've talked about ever since we started Mission Log. Yeah. I, it's not realistic that Picard is going to go from being locutus to being fine next week. Right. And yes, I could see him having some differences in the way he deals with things and the way he moves forward. Family was a good episode. Mm-hmm. I personally, it's not one of my favorites because I don't watch it to watch a nighttime soap. I'm watching it to find out where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. And I like that we start with the premise of we're going to be okay. The line that I've used with John before, I don't remember if I've ever said it on the show or not, but basically for me, TOS and Next Gen start with, and they lived happily ever after, and then... Right? We're okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to be fine. And then when people start talking about, well, there's a fight with this guy and that guy, as long as it gets settled relatively quickly, I'm okay with that because there are, still, there, there are going to be course corrections in everything you do. So, like, if, if one week Riker and Picard are a little bit at odds, mm-hmm. but it all comes, you know, it's all right in the end. And whether it was Picard who was wrong and he's corrected or Riker was wrong and he's corrected, that's all going to be fine. When we start getting into, like, real fights, like, I love... Story-wise, I love Star Trek Insurrection because it felt to me like that Picard was not going to be able to serve in that Federation the way that Federation was going or that Starfleet. What I don't like is that's the way we ended up taking Starfleet in the Federation. I would like it more if he had been this great thing that was happening in this great organization and then we come across other things that teach us more about ourselves as opposed to, 
I'm going to fight with this guy because, you know, we're on the show every week, and it's interesting to see us fight. And, yeah, it might be interesting to see us fight. I mean, I would like to see you two fight if that's (laughs) going to happen. It might be interesting to see the two of us fight, but then the problem is now we're stuck on, well, how are these two people going to get along? We can't start from the premise of we're going to be okay. We're, We're always working towards the premise, maybe one day we'll be okay, as opposed to beginning with, okay, we're going to be fine. Let's see how. And that, you know, right now it's very relevant because the, the article's out there about conflict and story writing and conflict in Star Trek. That word conflict, uh, you, you know, it's not defined well enough. Conflict doesn't have to be you and I fighting. Conflict can be something is wrong with the ship and we need to figure it out. Conflict can be there's, there's someone else having an issue and we're going to debate about it uh, uh, rationally. Mm. Um, it, trust me, I love Star Wars. I, I love Star Wars. Rogue One was phenomenal. Um, and, and that's action and that's adventure. And Star Trek should have action and adventure. But the, my father's... My father's view of Star Trek, what it should be, what I think it should be from everything that I've gleaned over the years, Star Trek is about a better humanity, not perfect, a better humanity. We're still all flawed, but we're all willing to learn from our flaws. And we still have disagreements, but I am more willing to listen to your, uh, your alternate point of view without just saying, you are wrong and I hate you and you're dumb. Um, that is, that is the, the message of Star Trek. I'm preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to the other choir. <laughs> Um, but, but I'm with you, and that's, that's what it is. And, and At the same time, forgive me, at the yeah, same yeah. time, we were talking about this earlier, you do have to have, at least occasionally, have just those fun episodes as well. Like, we were, like, um, we both love Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yes. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan is not a great episode of Star Trek. It's a fantastic movie, and it's wonderful to see those characters do that. And honestly, if you don't get Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, if they had had as many... Star Trek II has been as ill-received as Star Trek The Motion Picture was. You might not get to Star Trek III. And what's really fascinating is you go from we're battling our biggest enemy ever to one of the key problems in Star Trek III is there was a scientist who cut corners. That's a lot of your driving action. (laughs) That's what sets you up there is Mark cut corners on that, and now this whole thing is falling apart. And, of course, then they're like, well... Maybe a Klingon. Okay, yeah, we just do that bad too. Guy. Yeah. Gotta have and we'll bring guy. another guy back from the dead. But right. I mean, one of the, one of the three big things in that is you know some guy who cut corners. It's like a it's like a morality lesson for like a summer blockbuster. Yeah, which is kind of which is kind of crazy. But we don't get to that if we don't have almost an answer to. It's not really an answer to Star Wars, but we don't get to that if we don't have the big fight between Kirk and Khan in, in uh, Episode Two. But the movie format is its own thing. I am much more, and I don't mm-hmm. want to use the word mm-hmm. forgiving. But, you know, I, I did love the J.J. movies, and, and we all have our complaints and issues with that, but um, they've got two hours to bring us in and keep us excited, and movies need to be action-packed. So the movies have always been a pass for me in the sense that, you know what, they're, they're ships battling, and that's, that's fine, because they've got two hours to get me on the edge of my seat. They don't actually I, have I don't to be, though. I think they have to, but... I mean, honestly... I th- it's probably only the motion... I mean, at least as far as the original cast... I, mm-hmm. uh, I think three, four, five, and six actually all have good messages. Is five a good movie? I don't know about that. Right. But I mean, there's certainly a lot, a lot to say to about, about. I'm not sure. saying they don't yeah. have messages, but yeah, go ahead. yeah. Right. Well, I don't think you give them a pass for that. I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people hate Into Darkness. I think yeah. Into Darkness yeah. is amazing because at the very end of it, the message of that is don't be guided by fear into living in some sort of like. And people, some people hate the ending to that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I don't blame I, them. Yeah. Well, it depends on which part depends of the ending you're end, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. This will be next year's panel. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing an hour on Into Darkness. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, I'm just moving my mic. I'm, I'm excited. What, yeah. what? 
I think that I, the good news about Star Trek is that you're talking about a big enough and flexible enough format. You know, I, I've said on our show before that I feel that way about Star Trek, I feel that way about Doctor Who, is that you're just sort of creating, as somebody said, the sandbox. So Gene Roddenberry creates the sandbox. All these other people get invited to come play and make out of it what they want to do. Now, in the 60s, it was a very different thing. It was finding science fiction writers who wanted to make a statement, wanted to get something off their chest about a topical issue, you know, whatever that might be. And you sometimes start with that premise. So uh, let that be your last battlefield. Mm -hmm. There you go. You start with that premise. We're going to tackle this topic, but we're going to format it into this science fiction adventure. You know, and uh, you were talking about um, Private Little War, mm -hmm. right? How you, you get to take this complex issue, all right? Well, who is... That was happening that day. Yeah, yeah, who, who is providing arms to, you know, Vietnam. Right. How will that play out? But you don't do the show about Vietnam. You do that show about a planet somewhere far off. So really, that was the, the intention behind TOS. But again, you get to TNG, there's an expectation about what what will be at the heart of Star Trek, and they also had the, the benefit of running more than twice as long as TOS. So what are you going to do with that time? Yeah. Well, we have a lot more time to get to know those characters, and if we want to come back week after week, we want to come back for the characters. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I... It was a family. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it was a, an amazing family, and I, I know it was designed that way. And, and I, I was just saying this, you know, that Star Trek was a collaboration. So many people made it what it is, whether it's TOS, TNG, et cetera. Um, but I know that the, the comfortable, beautiful bridge, uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane called it a hotel lobby. It just looked so plush and comfortable. Um, you know, they, they, they really wanted to make it comfortable in a family and something that we can all identify with on some level. Uh, and then, of course, bring the characters out. But I, I do think that that line where, where my father was less involved and no longer involved, um, it, you know, and, and, and Michael Piller and Braga and a lot of people got to come in and, and sort of do the things that he would normally not let them do, uh, I, I think they did a great job. And I'm not necessarily saying anything negative about my father. It's just that they kind of went, they understood that the characters needed to be... To be uh, uh, blown up. To, to, you yeah. need to see inside who they are and why they do what they do. I got to go back again, though, to the question that we were asking earlier, because something that what John was just talking about, I mean, a lot of the people who were writing science fiction in the 1960s, it was not, yes, I mean, Gene Roddenberry may have been looking specifically for those messages, but those messages were almost easier to find in science fiction. I mean, you talk about a private little war, you can't tell that story on TV at that time, except for on the news. Right. But I mean, you can't tell that story as like, you know, part of like, you know, fun, you know, Friday night entertainment or whatever night it was on. I think it becomes more important to actually set that parameter in the 1980s, especially because then we're after Star Trek, then we're after the first iteration of Battlestar Galactica, we're after Buck Rogers, we're after all kinds of science fiction that's just been brought on because they were just glomming onto the fun parts of the science fiction, the spaceships and the lasers and the blowing things up and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to, and this is what's weird, so then you come back into next gen and it does feel a little like clunky is not quite the right word but oh, I mean, it's a good word preachy might even yeah. be an okay word too except yeah. i mean the problem is at that point you do have to say preachy because you're not having science fiction writers who are just trying to say something great about the future 
you've also got Neuromancer, Count Zero, and Mona Lisa Overdrive at the same time. We've gone much more into dystopia. We've gotten mm-hmm. Blade Runner at that point. We've gotten Brazil, I think, came out in 86. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, our, our vision of the future is not automatically Tom Tomorrow. It's not um, Captain Video. It's... it's Outside and people are drawn. <laughs> Blade Runner. People are drawn to the positive message. We might be drawn to the action as well, but we're drawn okay. to the positive yeah. message. How can you say they're drawn to the positive message? So if the next thing you're going to say is, then it's going to be about conflicting characters and fighting and getting to know these people more and the and the troubles that they have and watching them slug through their life because watching them slug through their life is interesting. But then how do I get through mine? Well, I'm not the captain I of the starship. I don't think next generation went down a, a bad path. No. I, I loved, I, even yes. the first season I love of Next Generation, which I know I think you guys weren't really that fond of, but every first season needs, needs yeah. a little work. So, some uh, of it a pass, yeah. No, I, I just, the, the, the Next Generation message for me was, was just the fact that we can all get along, and even in those later seasons where characters were disagreeing more, um, I, still, I still think that the overall message of a future where we work together and meet aliens who are messed up, that's the better one. <laughs> But like, I, I get to a point where I really want to identify with the characters, though. And if the characters are too perfect, they're too good, like, there should be something aspirational. There's always something aspirational about Star Trek. But if I can't relate at a certain point, then I'm going to tune out. And I think that with a show that goes on for seven years like that, and then Deep Space Nine goes on for seven years, and Voyager goes on for seven years... The thing that would make me tune in that often isn't, okay, what's the moral of the week this week? Sure, sure. You know, the thing the that, main drive. Yeah, the, the yeah. thing that will make me tune in is, do I relate? Do I have some sort of a bond with a character there? And the Am more, I excited to see what's going to happen next for them? Right, 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 right. And if they're too perfect, then there's something that I stop relating to in that character. I want to see them be able to overcome things. I want to see them be able to overcome the petty stuff for sure. You know, but... I want to be able to learn something from that. And if it's all, if it's too detached, if it's too esoteric, uh-huh. then... I, are, are we too detached and too esoteric right now? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, may, we, you know, I, I want to bring up the, my 500-pound gorilla, or whatever that expression is. Oh, you brought him with you. Chaos on the bridge. No. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'm not a huge... Uh, I, I admire Shatner in terms of what he's done with his career, um, Star Trek would not be Star Trek without him. Uh, I, I think I, I, I'm rubbed a little raw and the wrong way with some of his books and uh, the documentaries that he's done. This last one, Chaos on the Bridge, I, I think everything that was in that documentary was true. For me, it was all just sort of one-sided. I think my father was at odds with so many of those people and probably was slamming his fist on the table and saying, you don't know what... Star Trek is if it bit you in the cut that oh, out. Oh, we can't. We gotta cut that out. Bleep, bleep, bleep. There's our explicit tag. Um, <clears throat> but there, there is a whole nother side to that, and and it just it took me how long has it been out? Two years At to least, watch yeah. it just because I don't necessarily appreciate the fact that he doesn't always take a balanced approach. He sensationalizes, and he's out there to sell discs or whatever medium we have today, digital, whatever downloads. So. Um, I, it, it's along the same lines because it's showing, not necessarily when my father departed the show, 
but the chaos, as he calls it, that was involved in, in the birth of that show and as the seasons went on. You do have to also ask, why is he bothering to make that movie? I mean, he was on Boston Legal. Is there no movie to make about that? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's part of, I think, the Shatner charm. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you and I have talked about this before, and I, I think that... So clearly there was chaos in the early production of that series. And, and Star Trek The Next Generation under Roddenberry, Justman, Gerald, Fontana yeah. is a totally different show from Star Trek under Berman, Pillar, Moore, Braga, Taylor, etc. Very, very different shows. And I think sometimes for the better. Sometimes, you know? yeah. Sometimes. I really enjoy yeah. some of the sci-fi in those episodes. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. And the other thing, though, is that, you know, I think Gene went through a transformation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after the cancellation of the original series, trying to get things cooked back up again, and they, all these false starts, and it's not happening, it's not happening. But then those years doing the college lecture circuit, all of that, that's sort of what solidified the, the mythos and the legend of Star Trek, as opposed to the reality of, well, what's the, the type of show I want to create? Yeah. And that's what informed going into Next Gen. It's, it's, see, that's really interesting, because I've, 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 when I did, not to plug mine, but Trek Nation, you should go see it. Um, well, I, I had an interview, I did interviews with lots of people involved in Star Trek, and uh, um, I, you know, some of the comments I got were Gene Roddenberry, after the original series, went and did these lectures, and he started to sort of believe his own myth. And I don't want to be the son of Gene Roddenberry I don't want to come across as simply trying to defend him. He's incredibly flawed like we all are. But on some level, I think that was true. I also think I'm kind of okay with that because the, the idea that he was trying to uh, uh, perpetuate, the idea he was trying to get out there was this better future. It's, it's what we all fell in love with Star Trek for. Um, it's what we all admire about the series separately from what we admire about other science fiction. That goes back to what I was saying earlier, too. I mean, there was much more science fiction, and so you almost, you almost want to plot out, if you're going to have something that says, I'm trying to do good, then you almost want to go out and like, plant that flag as many places as you can, yes. because there was so much other stuff that was... I mean, Alien Nation is another one, which is a great show, and I love the movie, actually. Yeah. But, I mean, there's just... Just thinking of all of the science fiction that you were up against at that point. So, to then say to the people that you're working with, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be bright. And that's not to say sunny, but I mean, we're going to be, we're, we're, I don't want to use words like beacon and, you know, all that stuff, but we're, we're going to aim for something, not better television, but better ideologically, philosophically even. Yeah. Can I, can I ask, sorry, I, who here in the room, I feel it's a loaded question and please don't worry, I don't care. Who here just like, like Star never Trek? Mind. I know, it's weird. Who here just like Star Trek because it's good sci-fi? Who's like, what are, what are these guys talking about all this stuff? Okay, <laughs> just because it's good sci-fi. Okay, so it can be liked because it's just good sci-fi. All right, that's, yeah. that's good. I think that's totally fair. Absolutely. You know? And, and it, it pleases us all the time to hear from people who say, I've loved Star Trek for all these many years, and now I get to look at it a new way. Because our, our focus is something different. Our yeah. focus is not the sci-fi mechanics, our focus is what's the heart of the story? What are they trying to tell us about us? So, you know, it, and it, it's a, a niche that's just very specific to Mission Log. Um, I, I don't want to use all of our time talking amongst ourselves. If you guys have questions, please head to that mic yeah, yeah, right yeah. there, and I think there's another oh, there's one. There's the one, isn't but, there? But then can, yeah. I, can I maybe ask a question that maybe, if yeah. anyone here in the audience wants to speak to, and we've, we've briefly brought this up, is recently I've been looking at specifically Rogue One, Star Wars, 
and I kind of Star Trek in general, and I used to very clearly in my head say, well, there's a clear difference. Star Wars is fantasy, and Star Trek is based on possible reality. Uh, when I watch Rogue One, you know, they do have the Force, but I, very, very little. I'm not sure they even had it in the movie, and they didn't go that deep into it. Star Trek does have mind-melding. It does have Q. I understand that Q is simply, he's got technology beyond our comprehension, therefore it seems like magic to us. At least that's my interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they've, they've gotten closer, at least with Rogue One. And uh, it, the, 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 the delineation isn't as clear to me anymore. Hmm. Um, even though it's in a galaxy far, far away. Long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. I've heard people say that Rogue One is one of the best World War II movies they've ever seen. Though, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, true. really, I mean, very so that true. may that yeah. may be one of the reasons that you, that there's not as much of the delineation there because if you try to do Star Trek and Return of the Jedi, yeah. I don't think you're going to do that. Rogue One, oddly enough, is a very human story in a land far, far away with a <laughs> really cool robot. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Hey guys, thanks for Mission Log. Um, I think, uh, after having listened to you guys, I think you'd agree that one of the big strengths of all of the previous versions of Star Trek is that you'd tune in every week and you'd get something wildly different, right? Everything from, like, mystery to comedy to a Western to who knows what. And not that we know for sure, but it seems that Discovery is going to be much more serialized and and have that very heavy arc. So I think we're going to lose some of that anthology format. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's going to lessen sort of the trekkiness? of discovery in a way and lose one of the big advantages that Star Trek has had? Can, can I ask you to dig a di- bit deeper into that question? What do you mean, uh, just because I want specifics, the trekkiness, lose the trekkiness of? Well, is that is every episode of the original series or even TNG and you know, even Deep Space Nine, which was heavily, not heavily serialized, but serialized to a degree, you'd have episodes that took place on a holodeck that were totally crazy and had something wildly different. Or you'd have an episode of the original series like Spectre of the Gun where you're, you know, you're, in, a, you're in a Western. And then you had episodes which were mysteries and you had comedies and like you had every kind of storytelling in like this anthology format, right? Which I think a lot of fans loved and I mm-hmm. think a lot of people enjoy about the show. But I don't think we're going to see that in Discovery. And I'm excited for Discovery. I hope it's successful. But I think it's going to... In my opinion, I think that that's going to be something that we're going to lose. And I'm a little bit concerned about that, but I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say. For, forgive me. I mean, I, I can take this, and I don't think I'm letting any cat out of the bag. Uh, there are a number of episodes that are... Part one, part two, part three, part four? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They, they, you know, it's a, it's a different character in a different situation that mm. puts everyone on some sort of ship in a different sort of peril or situation. So... It's really, I'm really happy you asked that question because I agree that's one of the things that I love. I love diversity in storytelling. Uh, I think there is, a, you're, I don't know if you're going to lose it. I don't know if there's going to be enough for you, but I don't think you're going to lose it. And I don't think I've said anything too bad. And, and, you know, go back over recent history of Star Trek. So you mentioned Deep Space Nine where you do have standalone episodes, but you also have ongoing arcs or ongoing plot threads through that. Enterprise was really bold with trying to do that third season where you just tell the Zindi arc, but even then, you had some standalones within that that maybe had a little bit of a plot thread tied to that, but you could still watch it on its own. The reality is, TV is produced in a very different way now. Mm -hmm. Enterprise could have been produced that way if they had gotten that year off to just write out the whole series, or at least write out that entire first season, and go into it knowing point A to point B to point C. 
Um, I, I really look forward to the idea of telling big stories with long character arcs and long story arcs. Um, I, I don't know because I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, um, yeah but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I, 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 like I said, Star Trek is a big enough, flexible enough format that I think you can do that and still be very successful with it. And you can also do little standalone stories and be very successful with that. So I'm, I'm anxious to see it. My reaction really quickly to say that television is produced in a different way today implies that you can continue to produce television in different ways and you can go back to old ways as well. So for everybody sure. to go, well, that's just the way television is today. Well, only because, yeah. I mean, it's television. It's not water, right? <laughs> I mean, water is a certain way. Yes. yes television right, is yeah. made by people and yeah. so we can make it differently, especially television because it's mostly made up. Yeah. Oh, um, good, good. I worry about that to answer your question, but I haven't seen it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off. It concerns me, but, you know, only because I do this for a living. I think if I were partly, somewhat, hi. <laughs> it makes me a tiny bit nervous because, I mean, it's sort of like what we're talking about in season seven. Every, t- every time we have an episode that's like, that just doesn't really seem to want to deliver a message even, I'm kind of bothered because, okay, well, now we're running out of Star Trek. We've got 15 episodes to do something, and I hope what we do is something that's going to not just entertain me, but also edify somehow, not me personally, but just, I mean, give me some, give me something to really chew on. Um, not just, wow, can you believe this one character that this is this other character? I'm hoping there's morals, meanings, and messages. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough run on Mission Log. Yeah, that would be Trek interesting. Yeah. And when might you guys be doing that? 2058? Yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, Kolchak, Love Boat. Um, Moonlighting. Love Boat, Moonlighting. That's right, Moonlighting. Yeah. Uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Nope. Super Train. Nope. Oh, we, we, you just gave us the five minute. Oh, oh okay. okay. Well, let's go to some more questions then. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you feel, uh, it seems like sometimes people, um, get really down on when, uh, Star Trek kind of goes dark and pushes things, but it's, to me, it seems like a stress test for the idealized morality we're presented, but like, there's still going to be people who are, author- uh, humans that are authoritarian or see it as okay to go or beyond the law to protect that idealism. And it's like, and I'm just curious what you think about, like, are those, in, you know, like Section 31, is that an infestation or is that something protecting? And like those questions, I, I feel like sometimes people kind of... See, to me, that, that goes back to, I mean, you can do that, but you can do that with other races that you come across. And I guess I'm, I, I well, just want to start from the ideal place of we can actually get past it as opposed to we always have to work past it. See, my problem with that, though, is when Romulan says, oh, well, you should, you should have a secret organization to protect yourself. It's like, well, no, we shouldn't. When a human says that, and says, look, if we, don't, if we don't kill this guy, the Romulans are going to go to war with us in six months. And it's a human in Starfleet telling you that. That's way different to me than a Klingon who's like, you should fight more. I, to me personally, that's, still, I mean, that's, that's the parameter of what your storytelling is going to be. Okay. I, I, and I, I know that it is very pie in the sky, and I know that people do not agree with me. A lot of people don't agree with me. But I like <laughs> the idea that... I like the idea that we're going to start with an idea that we're going to be fine. I because if we you. can't even pretend that we're going to be fine, we're never going to be. See, my thing is, though, uh, you, I don't think you're ever going to get to 100% fine. It's, that, it's, the, it's the Lincoln quote. You can get everybody to be perfectly moral some of the time, and you can get uh, uh, some people to be perfectly moral some of the time. You can't get everyone to be perfectly moral all of the well, time. Perfect, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want us to get hung up on perfect. I mean... Mm. And, and maybe we're just mincing words here, but I, uh, 
Yes, not 100% of the time, but I think, I just, I, I want us, and I think I speak for Ken a little bit, where just a, a nice improvement is where Star Trek should be. <laughs> oh, sure. No, we no, are no. better. We are still flawed, and sometimes we still fly off the handle, but Star Trek should not be about that. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying either, mm-hmm. um, but it is the difference. Uh, the, the episode where Borg, uh, Hugh, uh-huh. uh, I Borg, I Borg. Uh, it was interesting that we got some of the responses that people, people thought he should have put the virus on Hugh oh, and wiped those bastards out because of all those lives that, that got killed between, you know, afterwards were on him. You know, because he didn't have, take, take advantage of that opportunity, he didn't. But in the most recent episode, he says, he, the, the admiral says to him, you know, all those lives are on you. And he said, I had to make a, a choice of conscience yep. at the time. Yep. And I am in full support of that. Sometimes, I mean, these are hard choices. But can I sit here and say to you, Oh, no problem. All those people died because of the decision I made. If I put myself in his shoes, it's, it's tough. But that's what Star Trek is, to make us think about those questions. It's the burning building, saving the people. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm terrible. You've got a choice to save one person here and one person there. Which one sure, do you say? Yeah. This is what makes Star Trek great. These conversations, these thoughts... And we should all be digging deep into them and questioning ourselves and having these discussions. Yeah, I just feel like you don't know, is, is someone really a good person or are they play acting until you push them? Can we uh, take one more? Oh, and, and by the way, I would just say that if you haven't listened to us, I know if you listen to the show, I hope you listen to the show. Uh, Star Trek VI, I think we really got into that, talking about the decision to make Kirk have this conflict in him. You know, is he the guy who should say, let them die? And, and I kind of felt like, well, that was interesting ground to explore, at least, even if it takes our hero down quite a big notch. And yes, sir, you had a question. Okay, so I have kind of a superficial question. Would you be averse to um, a crossover film in which the Star Wars universe encounters the Star Trek universe? <laughs> Rod? Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, I, since the lines have become more blurred in my eyes... If it's relative, if they do it smartly, is that a word? They sure. Do it intelligently, um, it, it could be interesting. I'm not. Uh, see, I love the idea where where Mar- I love marvelizing. I want to marvelize Star Trek, and I hope that that that's what they're going to do, where they go into the different characters, and you've got a story about Klingons and Andorians, and it's a small webisode here, and this is a TV, and this is that. I think what Marvel's doing is great. If there was a universe that was similar to Star... I don't... I, I think it's a cool idea, kind of. I'm not sure I'm, like, gung-ho in support of it. What do you guys think? Pass. Okay. <laughs> It'd have to be a time travel episode because the other one was, was a long time, long time ago. Long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far, far, far away. away. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, wormhole. Yeah. Bob Damron. I'm from San Francisco. Uh, the home of uh, Space Fleet Academy, San Francisco, as you recall. Uh, TNG is my favorite, the next mm. generation, but... I, I remember, like, the show you had with uh, Mark Twain and Jack London. Very okay. clever, very beautiful. Time Zero. Yeah. Well, that was San Francisco, or part of it. Uh, the Traveler, I think that was fantastic. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard with the flute. And that the inner light. And then yeah. uh, there are so many others like that, too. And I uh, just want to see st- stories like that keep rolling. And uh, it's a, lot of, a lot of times it's kind of like a morality play, but it, it makes, it's, I think it wakes up something inside of people. And I, I want to say that happened with the Star Trek Discovery more than ever. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I, I think I've got the message over here, but I, I just wanted to quickly say, I'm sorry that yeah. I've taken, 
these guys, congratulations, these guys have done this for five years now. Are, are yeah. we, we're at five, five years. years. Five years this week. Yeah. Um, they've made it through the original series, the animated series, the first five movies, almost all seven seasons of TNG. They've yeah. got about ten plus years ahead of them. And, um, uh, and we... they, they work tirelessly every week putting these episodes together. I can't thank them enough for, for doing an amazing podcast. Thanks, so, thank you. Yeah. They do all the work. I just get a chunk of the credit. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. We, we hit about 8 million downloads as of now. Nice. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah, for, thank you. If you have like, very much. You know, multiple devices, download our show like 10 times each episode. <laughs> it's working. We're at 16 it's million working. in no time. Thank yeah. you. All right. Cheers, everybody. Oh, uh, we're over in the, in the vendor hall in the Roddenberry booth. Sorry we didn't get to. There was another question. Sorry we didn't get to. But come by and see us we're because we're here all week. Come by days. the booth and ask very controversial questions that put them at odds with each other. Yes. It's so fun to watch. We love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, let's have a hand for John Champion, Rod Roddenberry, and Ken Ray. They say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And to that end, I'm not going to ask you what, you know, your favorite thing that you did in Vegas was. <laughs> you better not. Because I don't know. I wasn't around you the whole time. I can't say. Um, what uh, name me a favorite thing that happened in Vegas, though? Mm, you know what? Um, I I spent more time this year mm -hmm. doing uh, crazy cosplay nice. costumes. Yeah, and and one of them for a very good reason. Um, our friends Dan and Bill from Trek Geeks, who everybody should check out, Trek Geeks podcast. Um, they hooked up with the Nevada SPCA and raised money through uh, Scants for Paws, so Scants and the number four Paws. And the idea is that all, all us guys in Scants, if somebody took a picture with us and then hashtagged it as Scants for Paws, that actually helped raise money for the SPCA. So I was really glad to do that. And um, also, I was part of the Vintage Trekkies photo op, uh, rocking my uh, Star Trek 1976 look. That was good. So um, that, it was just fun. I mean, look, it, it is hard to break down a favorite thing because you get to see all your friends and you get to hang out at night. And that's why my voice is shot because... We're talking all day and talking all night. <laughs> so um, it, it's just it, the professional part of it is fun and the socializing part of it is fun. What about you? Well, I got to say really quickly, I am sorry that I didn't know. I thought it was just Bill and Dan who were doing the scant thing. I didn't realize that it was open to other people as well because mm -hmm. I would have happily uh, participated in that. So I'm really sad for me that I didn't know that, but I am really glad for everybody else <laughs> because, because I can't imagine that's actually a look that I can rock. Oh, I would try it. Yeah. But I don't know that, uh, that I, I don't know that I could. It's always next year. Well, I know. Are they going to do the same thing again? Yeah, maybe. Who okay. Knows? Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Well, if they don't, I'll just find something else embarrassing to wear. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, for me, yes, there was all the stuff you're talking about. There's the there's the friends and there's the things we always get to do. And there's, I mean, I, like our panel is one of the highlights of my year uh, every yeah. year. You yeah. know, whether it, you know, we've never had one that I walked away from going, Ugh, 
<laughs> but but this year kind of felt good to me, so so that was great. Um, I finally went to High Roller. Oh yeah, right. yeah. For people who don't know, High Roller is uh, I think it's five hundred five feet tall, uh, so like mm. five stories basically, and it's it's a little bit in the um, it's a little bit in the hotels. So for like the first quarter of the revolution as you're going around it takes 30 minutes you're not sitting on something it's a gigantic room that you're in I think, think the pods will comfortably hold like 15 people or something and so um, you get on they don't even stop it that's how slowly it moves and then the door closes and then you know eventually you're standing there looking out you know over the tops of some buildings that are nearby taller buildings are further away of course and then you're looking out over the desert and it's absolutely gorgeous Wow. So did a little off-site with a few people there, which was great. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the other thing is the same thing that it always is, like getting to meet people. There were people who came up to us and said that the reason that they were there is because they've heard us talk about it. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, that's a really neat thing. And I assume, you know, that they had a good time. I mean, they didn't come to us and go, the only reason I'm here is because of you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> they, they came up and said that they'd heard us talk about it, and they were there and having a fantastic time. And it was great to meet them. It was great to see old friends as well. Yeah. I will say, too, one of the other highlights, and it was too short. Uh, we finally got to spend time with the other people from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Now, not everybody could be there. Because, I mean, Women at Warp is four people. Only two people were able to come this year. Um, uh, priority one is like 97 people. Yeah, huge. They got offices every, like every country. Yeah, they're everywhere. What does Elijah say? The sun never sets on the P1 Armada because That's they right. are seriously all around the world. Uh, yeah. But Elijah and Kenna uh, were there. And what was really great, and then Rod was there for a very limited time. But what was great is we had like every bit of the Roddenberry Podcast Network represented and and just the the energy, the ideas thrown out. I mean, it, it it it's not like it hasn't felt like an organization, but it felt like an organization that was firing on a few cylinders, uh, maybe all cylinders. And so that was just absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, we should also say um, not only was it great to see them, but we should say it was great to see the people at Eagle Moss and thank them as well because uh, they made uh, they made it possible really for the whole network to be represented. Yeah, it, it was great. They uh, not only made sure that we had, um, you know, table space for, well, for us and for the rest of Roddenberry Podcast Network, um, but they brought us teeny tiny spaceships to put on our tables and uh, it should show off those to show off the, uh, the, the dedication plaques to show off the graphic novels, everything in the Eagle Moss Star Trek collection. So they were absolutely fantastic. It was great to talk to them and, and hear their enthusiasm for their own products and just their enthusiasm about Star Trek. That was really cool. And it was also very gratifying to hear their enthusiasm for us, which is not, yeah. I mean, that's not to pat ourselves on the back, but their excitement around all of that stuff and around um, the response that you guys have given them as well, guys and gals, is just uh, mm -hmm. is just incredible. So thanks to everybody for that, too. The one drag about the whole convention, honestly, is it's always too short. It's five days. It's five days just chock full of Star Trek, chock full of Star Trek fans, chock full of friends, uh, both friends that we know before we get there and friends that we've made by the time we leave. Um, it's too short, but... There will be another one along in about 358 <laughs> days. Yeah. I mean, if you guys haven't gone, uh, go to creationent.com. 
dot com and uh if, even if you can't go to the vegas convention try to go to one of their conventions because i, I told somebody else that i was talking to at the show that um you, you got your comic cons you got your wonder cons you got your other cons but there's something really special about being among that many star trek fans and the the kind of positivity and camaraderie mm surrounding it is kind of remarkable everybody there is your friend even if you don't know them yet so um it, it's it's awesome you know uh so go if you're not sure who's there for the convention uh the guy in the monster maroon mm. mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or, or the guy in the green kirk wraparound yeah. Or, uh, yeah, you know, or any number of other. It's so it's so wild to walk into a bar and see more people dressed as if they're from Starfleet than not. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind <laughs> of. A, yeah, it is. It is. You're right. It is something to be among that many uh, that many Star Trek fans. All right, guys, Paul. We, we hope you enjoyed the show and our panel from this year. And uh, as Ken said, only 350-something more days until the next one. So you can start counting down now uh, because we will be there. And we hope to see you there, too. 